Matthew 24, 17 is continuing. Let not, so as the armies are, are coming close, let not the one who is on the housetop, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not go back to take his cloak. <clears throat> Luke gives us the, shows us what he means. Let those who are inside the city depart. Get out before you're trapped in the city by these armies. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. If you're in, if you're out farming and you start to see soldiers, don't go back to get your junk and your laptop because <laughs> it's all your stuff saved on it. Flee. You don't, don't go back to get your debit card, Fle- you know, whatever the equivalent of that. Flee and trust God to take care of you. Trust God to take care of you. And so Jesus is warning there won't be time to go down and get your stuff. You have to get out of the city or you'll be trapped in the siege. If you're already out in the countryside, don't go back into the city to try to get your stuff or you'll get trapped in. Flee to the mountains before the armies trap you, trap you in. And then Luke 21, 22, for these are days of vengeance. Okay. Um, NIV says the time of fulfillment to fulfill all that is written. And the question is fulfill all that is written where? And it's Daniel 9, 26 to 27. I.e., so the time of punishment to fulfill all that is written concerning that temple's destruction, which is the main verses are in Daniel 9. So let's, again, we looked at that in Daniel 9. Um, we, don't need to, we don't need to look at that anymore. Mark, Matthew 24, 19. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Taking flight with children is much more difficult. Who has children? Getting them the pack and plays and the and the all that stuff takes a lot of time. It's hard to travel with children. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Pray that it may not happen in winter. This one used to tweak with me outside of a first century context. Here's why. This is more reason to believe that Jesus here is talking about 70 AD, the signs leading up to the temple's destruction and not the end of the age. This statement indicates that the season of the year is in which the siege and is in view here will be this statement indicates that the season of the year in which the siege in view here will begin is unknown however we know that jesus that just as jesus the true messiah came the first time to the day and hour in fulfillment of the spring feast passover he died on the he died at the exact time that the passover lambs were being slaughtered in the temple Feast of Unleavened Bread, he rose from the dead on the third day as the first fruits were being fulfilled as that part of the feast. Fifty days later on the Feast of Pentecost, celebrating the giving of the law, the spirits poured out for the circumcision of the heart. He fulfilled to the hour the spring feast, his first coming. First coming spring feast, second coming is the fall feast with a gap in between so that the gospel could go forth to the nations after Pentecost. That's what happened, right? <clears throat> so we know. So um, he's going to come back just as he came back in fulfillment of the spring feast. So he will come at the second time in exact fulfillment of the fall feast. Trumpets, day of atonement and tabernacles. The feast of trumpets in, in, in um, when you read Alfred Edersheim account of, of first century Judaism, the feast of trumpets uh, commemorated the, the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord. For more, see David Possum when Jesus returns, if you want to look in more into, into that. The fall feast as an appointed time, the Hebrew is Moed, set by the Father's authority. It's the same word used in Genesis 1.14 of the stars are, and the, mo- the moon are set at, they declare the set times. They communicate the calendar. 
In the same way, the Jewish feasts are also called Moed. They're, they're set times by the Father's authority. <clears throat> Jesus will return after 3.5 years of final tribulation, calculating 3.5 years from the Feast of Trumpets in the seventh month of Tishri in the fall, not the winter, which Jesus has prayed that, prayed that it's not happening in winter, means that the final abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel 12 will occur around the Passover, which is always in spring. Okay? That's, that's, that's why, because I, I was in a season where I was working through all of these details on the feast, and I'm like, how? He's going to come back and fulfill another feast. What does this actually mean then? But, exactly. But, but, but when Jesus prophesied this, there's no reason, because this, had absol- this didn't have uh, a connection to the appointed times of the Messi- Messianic mission, which the feasts prophesy. This is just the destruction of the temple. It's not, a, it's not a feast pointing to the Messiah's work. It was unknown at the time he prophesied it. So that Titus' siege happened to begin on the Passover and that the temple was destroyed on the exact anniversary of the first temple's destruction by Nebuchadnezzar. Can you believe that? I mean, God is saying, pay attention to these events as they're, they're types. I can orchestrate the exact day that armies come in and the exact days that armies leave the scene. Now listen. Track with me. There will be great tribulation. Here's what he says. Pray that your flight will not be in Sander. There will be great tribulation such as not begin, been from the beginning of the world until now and, and will never be. In those days there will be great tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now listen, this, one is a, this one's a tough one, but the way we interpret this the way we read Luke here, when we read Luke and the way Luke is what Luke's talking about, then we have to rethink what what we the way we understand this, because most this is one of the the clinchers for well, isn't this the surely this is talking about signs leading to the end of the age because of this kind of distress that will never be seen again? Well, let's read what Luke where Luke puts the focus. There will be great distress upon the earth. The better translation is actually land here. Most of the other translations have land. This word Greek, which uh, this word in Greek, it can always mean land, soil, ground, earth, terrain. The other translations, NIV, New King James, KJB, NASB, translate it land. There will be earth upon the land and wrath against what? This people. The focus of this unprecedented time of tri- tribulation is great distress on the Jewish nation. This is still first century here, I believe. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. That's exactly what happened. Those who survived the siege, very few compared to those who died, they were led captive and brutalized throughout the Roman Empire. Now, let's, whether, when interpreting this verse, we must ask whether the focus is the entire world or Israel. Luke's version makes it clear the land of Israel is, in the, is the focus of this statement. Here, Jesus may be using a figure of speech, a hyperbole, to describe d- great disaster. Because if you look in, in Ezekiel 5.9, this Ezekiel 5.9 is clearly referencing the destruction of the temple under Nebuchadnezzar. The context is clear that it's the, the, the destruction under Nebuchadnezzar. And look what it says. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of nations. Referring to Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the city. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Well, he did it again in AD 70. (laughs) Okay, so here we have an example of possible hyperbole. 
But so let's just read this quote from Josephus. It's interesting. Josephus, when he's focusing here on Israel, it is therefore impossible to go distinctly over every instances, instance of these men's iniquity, talking about those who were causing all of the sedition in, in, in Jerusalem at the time of the temple's destruction. I shall therefore, he's talking about Jews here, um, killing each other, actually. I shall therefore speak my mind here at once briefly that neither did any other city ever, such, ever suffer such miseries, nor did any age ever breed a generation more fruitful in wickedness than this was from the beginning of the world. So this is the, you know, the demon, the, the seven times the demons have come into the nation. And I'm trying to remember if Ezekiel, wasn't he already in Babylon when he was because in he Babylon at one of the first waves of exiles okay. that were taken. But the city had not been destroyed yet. Been destroyed yet. Had not been destroyed yet. So this is, that was before. This was before seven. This was clearly before. This is clearly referring to Nebuchadnezzar's. So that's why I'm saying it could be a use of hyperbole. But even if it's not a use of hyperbole, let's think about this. If the focus um, is, if the reality is that if this phrase is interpreted with an Israel-centric focus, that means Israel-centered. If the focus is Israel, then it cannot describe the end of the age. The reason is, throughout the Old Testament, the prophetic passages that describe Israel's final chastisement at the end of the age by means of the Antichrist are always immediately followed by passages of Israel's deliverance through the Messiah. Verses 80, 70, where the city was to lie desolate and desecrated for 2,000 more years. See what I'm saying? There has to be all, there's, there's hundreds of passages about Israel's restoration at the end of their final chastisement. So, so Jacob's trouble, here's Jeremiah 30. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned deathly pale. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. The times that are coming for the Jews in terms of their destruction, it's going to be more intense than anything they've ever known in, that, in, in one sense. But here's what the other side of it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but in the final chastisement, he will be what? Saved out of it. He'll be saved out of it. And then the, you can read lots of examples here. I, I quote from Isaiah 29. There, um, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. Add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. Yet I will besiege Ariel. She will mourn and lament. She will be to me like an altar hearth. An altar hearth because she's, what happens on the altar, sacrifices are made. What he's saying is, I'm going, to, I'm going to slaughter the city in the same way that sacrifices are made on the altar. When I bring these armies against Jerusalem, I'm going to slaughter in judgment. It's terrifying, but we need to tremble before God. Verse 3, I, I will encamp against you all around. I will encircle you with towers and set up my siege works against you. Brought low, you'll speak from the ground. Your speech will mumble out like the dust. This is Daniel 12, where, where the power of the people is totally broken. Total repentance and brokenness is what this is. This is described in Daniel 12, 7, Deuteronomy 32, 36, Zechariah 12. They'll weep as one for mourns for an only son, Zechariah 12. So, they're brought, so what happens, this final chastisement when the Antichrist armies come around, in this case, they turn finally in repentance. And what happens, verse 5, but your enemies will become like fine dust. 
suddenly in an instant the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and an earthquake and great noise. Then the hordes and a windstorm, tempest, flames of devouring fire. Then the hordes of the nations will all, that fight against Israel, the Antichrist armies, will be as it was with a dream. It's going to be, oh, I can't even remember it anymore. I, you know, had too much coffee before, you know. But that's, that's the point is that Israel's final chastisement results in deliverance at the end. So if with an Israel-centric focus, we, if, we, if we take all of those multitudes of passages in the Old Testament ser- seriously, then we have to question, um, we have to apply it in that sense. And so, it's got a, again, I think it's got a first century meaning. All right. And if those days had not been cut short, Kalobo, no human being, the, the, I think a better translation, no one, or it could be no human being, but no one, that's going through the, that siege would be saved. The NIV, I like the NIV, it translates it survived. No one would, there would be no remnant. If the day, if that siege, guys, I tell you what, if that siege had not been, been hardly any, there was a very small remnant that emerged at the end anyway. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The sake, uh, Luke says, for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now let's look at this. The word to shorten a bridge or curtail. It's a, it's, it's a different Greek word than the one that's used in Daniel 9, but it's the same concept. Let's look at this. Daniel 9, 26. They, the city and the, and the temple, shall be cut off with a flood. The flood, remember, the Gentile armies. And the end of the war of 70 AD, which is rapidly completed. The Greek is sotemno. It's a different Greek word, but it's the same concept. To be cut in short, to be cut short, to be cut in pieces... The New English translation of the Septuagint says to finish the sh- a shortened war. He shall, until the end of the war, which is rapidly completed, the shortened war, which is cut short, he, the Messiah, shall appoint the city to desolations. He's just going to, until that shortened war is done, Jerusalem's going to be ransacked by, by this army. Now here's Josephus. Joseph, the number taken captive during the whole war, seven years, was 97,000. The number perishing during the siege was 1.1 million. By first century standards, that's massive. This is not in the age of 21st century, 6 billion people around the earth. This is first century standards. This is massive. Most of the victims had come to Jerusalem for Passover, been trapped there, and died from plague and famine. Now, let's go to the next page. The Old Testament, the concept of election, in the Old Testament, the concept of election is applied to Israel. In the New Testament, it is applied to the saints in general. It is sometimes applied to the saints in general, believing Jews, Gentiles, grafted into the promises of Israel's covenants by faith in Christ. For example, Titus 1.1. Sometimes it's applied to Israel as a nation, um, even in her unbelief. Romans 9.11 and 11.28. And also to believing Jews. For example, Romans 11.7. And 1 Peter 2.9. So we just need to ask, in light of the context, which one is Jesus talking about here? Here, again, in, in my view, the context favors the nation of Israel because great wrath, there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. Jesus is saying that the war against Jerusalem will be shortened so as to preserve a, preserve a surviving remnant of Jews. God is doing this not because they deserve to escape, but because of his covenant faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As he says in Jeremiah, I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security. No one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. 
Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, because he's not in covenant with them, I will not completely destroy you because he's in covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even though they deserve to be completely destroyed, he made a promise to a friend. Isn't that amazing? I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. And then Jeremiah 31. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then shall the seed of Israel cease from ever being a nation before me. So that's, I think that's the sense there. So let's, let's go back up. Let's go to, uh, to page 21. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay? Remember Daniel 9.27. And one week, seven years, shall establish the covenant with many, many nations. And in the midst of the week, after the first 3.5, my sacrifice and drink offering shall be taken away this is the, the, the Messiah's sacrifice is the means by which the covenant is established with the many. It's a sacrifice uh, superior to the sacrifices on the temple, the fulfillment of those sacrifices, actually. And on the temple, after the crucifixion, on the temple, or on the holy, remember the holy people, holy land, holy place, shall be the abomination of desolations, shall be the, the Gentile armies. And at the end of time, when the jet time of the Gentiles are complete and in shall be put to the desolation. It almost seems like Luke here is making the exact same point as Daniel 9, 27. It almost feels like a commentary to me. <clears throat> now, let's uh, we looked at a, a number of these verses. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. We looked at Romans 11. Let's look at Isaiah 49 real quick. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So this is Zion saying this Jerusalem, who is desolate. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, Jerusalem, are ever before me. Your sons hasten back. Those who laid you waste apart from you. Lift up your eyes, look around. All your sons gather and come to you. This is the end of the age. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride, ornaments that are shining and bright in glory, though you were ruined and made desolate. That's referring to the many times Jerusalem has been emptied out of her sons and daughters through these nations. So though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people because all of these resurrected saints, a nation's born in a day. And that multitude in Revelation 7 is gathered in the land. The sons from all the nations, because the nations were included in the Jubilee. <clears throat> included in the Jubilee cycle. Um, and the mystery of the gap there between the two, three and a half years, uh, periods. Though you were ruined and made desolate, your land laid waste, you'll be too small for your people, those who devoured you. The children born when? During your bereavement. When were you guys born? Who, those, those who know that you're Gentiles, when were you born into the faith? Is Jerusalem the praise of the earth right now? You were born during her bereavement. And thank God, because that means that when he comes back, you'll be part of that company of the firstborn of Israel and the secondborn sons also of the nations of the earth who are going to come into Jerusalem. You were born during Jerusalem's bereavement. Thank God for Jerusalem's bereavement, or you wouldn't be saved, or I wouldn't be saved. Does that make sense? 
Which one? Oh, yeah. This place is too small for us. It's that crowd in Revelation 7. No space to live in. Then you'll say in the heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved. I was in exile. Who brought these up? I was left alone. But these, where have they come from? They've just come up from the grave and from all nations. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles who have just been included in the covenant. And they will bring your sons. Because they're the ones doing the Isaiah 35 thing. They're the ones prophesying and ministering to the Jews. So then we, went, we already worked through Isaiah uh, 53. But look at uh, down in verse 1 in Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren woman. Barren because her sons are gone. It's the, and he's talking about the afflicted city here. You who never bore a child. Burst in the song, shout for joy. You who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the uh, desolate woman than of her as a husband. So what he's saying here is that that at the end of because of what the Messiah did in Isaiah 53, now the doors opened to the nations so that the sons and daughters of Zion are now made up of all the nations and they're going to dispossess cities throughout the earth. Okay, let's keep tracking. We're pressing on. We're getting there. The guys, the climax is coming. I, the, the most exciting part is coming right here towards the end. Jesus, I'm going to skip some of these other verses. I'll let you read them. But basically, uh, Matthew 24, 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. We're still in the first century here. Remember, we looked at this in Luke 17. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. For many will come this. And then to reiterate Luke 21, many will come in my name saying, I am he. The time is near. Don't go out to them. We looked at Luke 17. Nor will people say, here it is. There it is. Because. Because the kingdom of God comes into your midst from the heavens. So here we have again, Jesus is warning them during this time when all of these things are happening, you're going to have messiahs claiming that they're going to overthrow Rome. Don't go out to them. That's another sign. And then Luke 20, 17, 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. So as the turbulent events of the first century grew more intense, they would long for the true messiah to re- to return and deliver Jerusalem. That's what there's the days are coming. When you guys see these things happening in your land, you're going to long for my return to make the wrong things right. But you're going to long for it, but it's not going to happen in this generation is what he's saying. Because the establishment of the kingdom awaits a future generation. Before that day, they would proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. Luke 20, uh, Luke 24. For false Christ, false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders to lead a astray if possible even the elect so we already looked at the false christ and the false prophets matthew 24 25 see i have told you beforehand but be on guard i have told you all these things beforehand jesus teaches on the various categories of signs ahead of time so that believers can watch for them we ignore or dismiss them miss them dismiss them to our own peril if those christians hadn't fled to, Pe- to pella it would have been big trouble for them now i tell you what when you see your friends and family being killed, you can have the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount in your heart, but you're going to want to join a movement of justice to, to overthrow them. See what I'm saying? That's, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It's one thing when everybody else is being destroyed, but when your family, you're going to say, I want justice. Maybe Jesus isn't really the Messiah. This guy really is the Messiah. I want to take, you know, and that, and that violent demonic spirit takes over. See what I'm saying? And you want to start start taking vengeance in your own hands. 
And Jesus is saying, no, guard your heart. Hold to my teachings. I've told you, I've told you that I'm coming at the end of the age because you need mercy just as, they need mercy just as much as you need mercy. Okay? So I told you beforehand. So that gives you an idea of how believers can actually be deceived into joining these movements. Okay? Um, so here's the, uh, yeah, it, this is, this is uh, let's go to Matthew 24, 26 now. So if they say to you, look, here he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. They're inciting people to rebellion. They're trying to get them to their movements. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Don't go after them. Do not go out and follow them. We covered that sufficiently, I, I hope, in Luke 17. In our discussion of Luke 17, Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So see notes again on Luke 17 from the Olive Discourse. The Messianic kingdom awaits a future generation after the Gentiles have had a chance to accept the gospel. In Matthew 24, 48, Jesus quotes a proverb. Wherever the corpse is there, the vultures will gather. We looked at that, possibly in allusion to Isaiah 31. Jesus quotes a proverb to highlight the location from which the last generation will observe his return, the sky. His kingdom will not be established by human power. And God's enemies will be destroyed by God himself, not by man. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not us. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. Luke 17, 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus came the first time to suffer, not to establish the dominion of God on the earth. We must follow his example and carry our cross if we want to share his inheritance. We're not the ones who establish dominion. Jesus is at his coming. We carry our cross. Uh, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay. Look at your seatbelts. This is going to be the climax and we're almost done. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. But in those days, after that tribulation. Here's the question. What does those days refer to here? Is it referring to the difficulties that would lead up to the temple's destruction? Or is he indicating the end of the parenthetical section, remember, but before all this? And now redirecting our attention again to the, to the second category of signs that he first began to elaborate on in Matthew 24, 7 through 8, Mark 13, 8, Luke 21, 10 through 12, before shifting his focus back to the first category. Remember that flow of thought. All, that's sweet. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Yes, the yes, uh, Matthew 24, 8. But before all this. So is he take the question is, is he taking us back to the beginning of birth pains when he says, but immediately after the tribulation of the, uh, the beginning of birth pains or the tribulation of the events leading up to the temple's destruction? That's the question. And. When we look in the next verses, I think it becomes clear that he's directing us back again to the signs, category two, that leads us to the end of, that lead to the end of the age. Because the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Um, Luke, similar ending, uh, excuse me, uh, Mark gives a similar rending. Luke gives a little interpretation. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars, and on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Luke twenty one twenty six, People fainting with fear.
fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Why? This is why we went through all those passages. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken because Satan is confined to the earth and those guys are kicked out and the earth is terrified. What is happening? These snakes that Mike Pickle saw in his dream. What is happening? What is happening? Here we see that Jesus is now ending the parenthetical section about signs preceding the temple's destruction and is taking us back to the signs related to the end of the age, category two. In part one of this seminar, we saw that the, the Isaiah 13 describes Babylon being overthrown by the Antichrist armies. Jesus quoting from Isaiah 13 there. Isaiah 34 relates the fallen powers and principalities being cast out of the heavens to the earth. All of these events happen at the beginning of the last 3.5 years before Jesus returns. This is why we did our homework in such thorough detail in the last session. That Jesus is now redirecting our attention to signs of the end of the age, category two, is also evidenced by one, the fact that he now reshifts the focus away from Israel to the nations and the entire inhabited world. Okay? Two, the association of dramatic signs in the heavens and the end of the age in the Old Testament. Exactly. And this is exactly where Jesus left off in Luke 21. At, before the parenthetical section, he says there'll be great signs in the heavens. In Luke 21, in verse 24, it talks about being trampled underfoot, and that it talks about the time of the Gentiles fulfilled. So that's the end. And then he, he switches to the... Exactly, the exactly, good point. And in Matthew, he's in 27 and 28, he's already switched to he's the lightning the coming. The signs of the heavens. The so bookends are the signs in the heavens. So he's like, there's a, he's showing there's a difference. Exactly. There's a huge difference, and you will know it. Exactly. Guys, as soon as Jesus quotes Isaiah 13, and as soon as he quotes Isaiah 34, when you read those passages in their Old Testament context and see Revelation 12's commentary on them, clearly those begin at the last three and a half years. So we know he's redirecting us now back the signs which are in context of the end of the age okay so at that time michael the great prince who protects your people will rise there'll be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then so this i used to think that that phrase in matthew 24 that there'll be a time of distress unequal from the beginning of the world i used to think he was pulling from here but now i think what he in in luke's commentary he's saying there'll be unprecedented distress in the sense that jerusalem will undergo its final desolation under the hands of the you know not its final desolation there's going to be another desolation at the end uh, at the end by the antichrist but the one that's followed by that 2000 years of barrenness that 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 focus there is 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 on israel israel centered but here the focus is from the beginning of nations it seems that that might possibly be an indication now he's talking about the whole world but all the nations here so what signs might we expect to see at the beginning of the last three and a half years? Okay, guys, this is where the la this, this is the conclusion of the uh, Gospel of the Stars series, beginning here. This is the conclusion. So what signs might we expect to see at the beginning of the last three and a half years? What signs will God use to herald that the entire planet that we've now entered into the darkest hour ever known in human history? Let's go to the next page. Dun, 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 dun. 
Okay, remember Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all their earth, their words to the ends of the world. Guys, listen, look at me for a second real quick. I want to save, save the rest. Let's give context to this. Um, the, we don't even know what technologies will be around. We don't know if it'll be a high technology kind of antichrist or whether all that stuff will be destroyed and the shakings before. I, we don't know all that's going to happen with that. We don't know whether there'll be TVs. People get into the speculation of, you know, well, we'll see. They kind of, there'll be cameras and we'll all see the abomination of desolation go up and we'll, you know, there'll be, it'll be broadcast on cable. There's all kinds of scenarios and maybe, maybe any of them. It's, yeah, you're, you're thinking, well, Jesus, come, they come back on horses, and it seems, you know, if you're going to take the horse, the horse thing literally in the Antichrist empires that are, and the Antichrist armies, and, and we don't know. But I tell you what, the Son, if God's going to communicate something to his people throughout the nations of the earth about something that's happening, the Son is the way to do it because their voice goes out where? To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So let's read what Joel, Joel 2.31 says. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before it's heralding the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So something about the sun is going to be turned to darkness and something about the moon to blood. Now, I want to suggest to you, this is not just talking about a solar eclipse. Solar eclipses, nobody's going to be like, take note. They happen like for five... They're, oh, yeah, I know there's solar eclipse where the sun is darkened by the moon lines up and it's like for five, it's like for 30 seconds or whatever it is, 30 seconds. Oh, there's a solar eclipse. Oh, you know, Luke says that people are going to be terrified by these signs. These are going to be abnormal things that nobody's ever seen before. Things that the sun and moon are not supposed to do. According to our understanding of astronomy, you know, let's look. So before. The great and dreadful day of the Lord, announcing the darkest time in human history. Would you agree that the last three and a half years will be the darkest time in human history? Right? So what's going to announce the darkest time? Look what Isaiah 13.10 says. The stars of heaven, their constellations, will not show their light. The rising sun, the beginning, will be darkened. King James, the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, the NASB, the dark will be sun when it rises. Who has ever seen a sun rising in the east completely dark and staying dark? What in the world does that look like? The beginning of the day starts in the morning. So he's going to communicate the beginning of the dark, the darkest time in human history. With a rising sun that does not shine. And everybody will be able to see it. And I, I think that as believers, if you ever see, you look up to the east at 7 o'clock in the morning and the sun is pitch dark and you don't have any connection with Jerusalem or what's happening there, you better start your prayer meeting. Now guys, I, this is my best attempt to understand this. But this is right here in the middle Isaiah 13, which Jesus quotes in context to the, emer the beginning of the, the last three and a half years. I think what he's saying here is that, according to these verses, 
the beginning of the last three and a half years, and when it says, let me go back. See, what, like Christian, I'm going back, but before all this, yeah. the moon will not give its light. It's not just talking about, you know, a little lunar eclipse. Something about this is very unusual, and it's, it's, it's a special kind of blood moon, apparently. It's not giving its normal light. It's signaling, I have, it's signaling blood, that the final, the moon is signaling it's the darkest, the, the sun is signaling it's the darkest, and the moon is signaling that it's the bloodiest time and most violent time and destructive time that the world has ever known. That blood, great bloodshed is about to be spilled on the earth, both of believers and, and, and Jews and everybody. And just war and people getting caught up. More than even just a warning, it's like actually communicating. It's communicating. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. Martyrdom is upon you. Don't take the mark of the beast. If you're in North Dakota, you see the sun do this. You see the moon do this. Hold on. Begin praying. Watch and pray. Redemption is drawing nigh. When you see these signs, then you really know things are picking up. I think like all signs in the heavens, there's just probably some kernel of truth originally and that got distorted over time. Sun's going to be black and the moon red, but it's it's going to be an unusual. It sounds like it's going to be an, an unusual kind of blackness where, you know, it's the sun somehow, but it's dark and you can't see its light. But, you know, it's the sun and it's rising, indicating the beginning of the season, the last season in history. That the darkest time and the moon that follows later is going to be blood. And God's saying the darkest time in history has begun. Great bloodshed, martyrdom is about to be spilled all over the earth. My people, my people, I told you about this on the Olivet Discourse. Okay, I told you about this. That's what I think. Now, guys, I'm painting a picture. If it doesn't turn out exactly like this, I'll tell you, you know, Oh, you know, I'm painting a picture, but this is the clearest picture I have in my mind, given all the evidence and given the fact that Jesus quotes from Isaiah 13 and, and Isaiah 13, that says that the rising sun is going to be. So uh, according to these verses, the beginning of the last three and a half years, the Antichrist armies appear. Satan and the powers are thrown to the earth. The Babylon destroyed. By the way, you'll know, oh, Babylon. The darkest time in history will be heralded to the entire planet by a terrifying sign. The sun will rise in the morning, but instead of shining, it will be darkened. And it's going to be terrifying. Nobody's ever seen this. This is, the, this is going to be unusual. The rising sun, because it moves. I mean, it appara- I'm sure it's just going to keep moving. How does it, what does that look like? A, a, lunar, a, a solar eclipse, the sun just sits there, and then the, you know, it's dark for a little bit, and then it stays in the same spot. But what does it mean for the sun to like go all day dark? From beginning to end, from the east to the west, assuming that that's what it does. I mean, I don't know if it starts off just rising, yeah, so that all nations can see. I don't know if it just starts off that way and then changes, but that's going to freak people out. That's enough to to make you squirm. Like what on what on the what in the world is happening to the earth and the and us? You know, maybe because we because we've done our we've wanted to take the word of God seriously. We're saying, here's what's happening. Guys, look, three and a half years. Press on. Don't give up. The, the, the mark of the beast is now implemented. We cannot take it. See, we, we know these kinds of things because we've been preparing ourselves. And guys, what's it gonna be, what are the prayer meetings going to be like when we know Jesus' return is three and a half years away? What's it going to be like? We're going to actually want to fast, probably. We're going to actually want to fast. 
Not that I'm sure you guys want to fast. You know, it's it's natural. What? Anyway, so the the rising sun denotes beginning. The darkened sun denotes the darkness overtaking the earth. Also, the moon will not give its normal light, but be some sort of blood moon, unusual blood moon. I doubt it's a, a normal blood moon. This will signal the beginning of a time of great bloodshed on the earth. Matthew twenty four thirty. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Category one. What, Lord, are the signs leading up to the temple's destruction? What is the sign of your coming and the signs leading up to the end of the age? Three categories. We're getting to the third category now. The sign of his coming. The more narrow focus. Remember, the apostles asked Jesus three categories of signs. Signs that will signal the impending destruction of the temple. The sign that will accompany his perusia more specifically when he returns through the sky. Signs that will signal when the earth has entered into the final generation at the end of the age. And what will be the sign of your coming? We saw the sign that will possibly announce the beginning of the darkest period in human history. What about the sign that will signal the beginning of the brightest time in human history? Just about to shine forth. What is the sign of the Son of Man that will occur in the heavens in context to the second coming? Who of you have seen uh, the Lord of the Rings? The second movie. What happens when Helm's Deep is under attack? Look to the east at dawn, the white rider, and he comes, and he's shining in glory, but what is shining behind him? The sun. Now let's look at this. This is Habakkuk. The moon will shine like, this is the second coming. The moon will shine like the sun. This is, excuse me, this is Isaiah. The moon will shine like the sun, and the sign light will be seven times brighter like the light of seven full days when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. When is this? The second coming. And how do we know? Look at verse 27. See, the name of the Lord, that's, always a, re- that's a reference to the Messiah, comes from afar. This is the second coming. With burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. So here we have, in context to the second coming, the sun shining seven times brighter, Seven uh, brighter than the light of seven full days and, the, and the, the moon shining like the sun. The name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger, dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath. His tongue is a consuming fire. His breath is like a rushing torrent rising up to the neck. This is the climax of these judges. This is craziness. He shakes the nations in the sieve of destruction. He's shaking the nations. He's purging out everything that can't be shaken. He places in the jaws of the peoples a bit that leads them astray. And you will sing as on the night you celebrate a holy festival. Your hearts will rejoice as when people go up with flutes to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause men to hear his majestic voice, will make them see his arm. If you look at Isaiah 53, the arm is the Messiah coming down from the heavens into their midst with raging anger, consuming fire, cloudburst, thunderstorm and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter the Assyria. The Assyria, that's the Antichrist, clearly. Isaiah 10, uh, Micah, Micah 5. With his scepter, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on the Antichrist and his armies with his punishing rod will be to the music of tambourines. That's us singing for our deliverance. To the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in the day of battle with his, the blows of his arm. Topheth, that means Gehenna. That's the lake of fire. Has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Where's the Antichrist thrown in the book of Revelation? To the lake of fire, to Topheth. Its fire 
pit has been made deep, wide, with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Okay, now let's look at, so we have the Messiah comes and something happening with the sun is seven times brighter and the moon is unusually bright. In context of the second coming, let's go to the next passage, Habakkuk 3. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. The earth, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. This is this big earthquake we read about. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord, because the whole face of the earth is being shifted? Lord, you're just, the rivers, they're being shifted. Were you angry at them too? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth, Isaiah 24, with, with, uh, you split, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. This is all that shaking stuff happening in Isaiah 24. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flaming arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Guys, what's Jesus' name? Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua, which is Joshua. Joshua brought the Jewish people into the land, didn't he? What happened when he brought them into their inheritance? The sun stopped for a whole day. Joshua is a type of Jesus. Joshua. Joshua is a type of Joshua. Jesus is going to lead us into our inheritance when he comes back into the land. And it's going to be that and what happened in Joshua's day, seemingly from this passage, is going to reoccur. And the reason the sun's going to shine seven times brighter is because when Jesus comes back, he's going to stop the sun and stop the moon. They're going to stand still in the sky while the age of the brightest age that's ever come, the brightest sun. It's going to shine no darkness as he's just plummeting the enemies of his people that have persecuted him for the last three and a half years, burning them with blazing fire. And we're weeping and we're rejoicing and we're hugging with each other that our loved ones, we're seeing our grandmas again, we're seeing our kids that were martyred, we're seeing all this. I mean, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. And it's going to be heralded by this sign, I believe. This is my best guess at it, guys. So... This is, <clears throat> let's look at, uh, <clears throat> if you remember reading uh, see, uh, Joshua there. Oh, I, did I lose my quote? Oh, yeah, there it is at the bottom. <clears throat> if you look uh, in Joshua, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord Hurl large hailstones down on them from the sky. That's what happens also when the Messiah returns. It says that there are going to be hailstones. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still. O moon, over the valley of Agilon. 
So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, the nation, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. So that's the purpose is that the Son of Man is whooping up on the people that have been abusing his people for those three and a half years. And then the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before since the day when the Lord listened to man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Will Jesus be fighting for us? Oh my goodness, when he comes back, watch out. It's the, Joshua was a type of the sign of the Son of Man. I believe that's, this is the more narrow sign of the Son of Man. Joshua was a type of it. Yeshua, Joshua, is going to be the final fulfillment of it when he comes and delivers us and that moon is shining. Now, now get this. The sign of the Son of Man may be the sun and moon standing still in the sky so that they shine seven times brighter than normal. Now let's look at what's happening in the stars about this time. This sign will occur just before or simultaneously with the second coming. Also, the procession of the equinoxes has brought the constellation Leo into alignment with the fall equinox here at the beginning of the first 21st century of our lifetime. This means the sun rising in a different constellation in the spring and fall equinoxes marks the beginning of a new age. It's been rising in Virgo. It's been rising in Virgo. But the procession of the equinox means that the fall, at the fall equinox, which is when the day and the night are equal in time, because the sun is going at its highest point through the sky directly overhead, okay? That at the fall equinox, it's the, the time when the sun is, is at, will reach its, you know, kind of its maximum time, the spring equinox and the fall equinox where the day and night are divided equally. The, the sun's directly overhead from the equator. And what's going to happen, what happens is that the procession of the equinox, because of the Earth's wobble, every several thousand years, it, the the sun will the the sun will begin to rise in a different constellation than the one before it at the equinoxes, okay, and so the the sun the fall sun has been rising in the fall equinox has been rising in Virgo. That's what happened when Jesus was born. It rose in Virgo. She was clothed with the sun, but through the procession of the equinoxes, Leo is now coming into alignment with the fall equinox, like in our gener- now, like it's in the twenty first century just now. It's coming into alignment with the fall equinox, which means that the seventh, I've tried, the seventh month, the beginning of uh, the month of Tishri and the fall equinox are lining up. Jesus comes back in fulfillment of the seventh month. Well, guess what? Let's read. Jesus will return in the fall month of Tishri. Well, let's, let's back up one more sentence. The sun rising in a different constellation in the spring and fall equinoxes marks the beginning of a new age. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That new age song, the age of Aquarius. They were saying that because they expected the age of Aquarius to come when the spring equinox moved into Aquarius. It was a new age, okay? But the reality was that they weren't looking at the wrong season. The Bible has us looking towards the fall, not the spring. Okay? Satan trying to get us distracted by all this new age baloney. Jesus, so the the sun rising in a different constellation, the spring and fall equinoxes, marks the beginning of a new, quote, age. Jesus will return in the fall month of Tishri in fulfillment of the fall feast. If Jesus returns sometimes in the next few decades, or even the next few centuries, because once it shifts, it takes it a while to go to another one. But it's in our lifetime. It's just moved there in this generation, like 21st century. It's there. I I think it's there. And if not, it's like right there moving like it's right. It's there. It's there. It's close. 
It's about as close as you get, you know, right? It's happening is what we're saying. It's like, um, I, I don't know the preciseness of it, but um, like, I, like I think within, like between, between the beginning of the 21st century for in that 30, 40 year window, that transition happens. That's what I, if I were to guess, that's what I'm saying, that this century, that, that's where I get this. That's what Warner, Warner has this in his book. So he says, so here's the thing. If Jesus returns sometimes in the next few decades in our lifetime, then when the sun and moon rise and stand still in context to his appearing, they will rise and stand still in the constellation of Leo the lion. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. As we saw last month, the constellation Leo communicates the triumph of the lion of the tribe of Judah and the establishment of his kingdom. I think that the stars the moon and the sun, these th- three things together, standing still, seven times brighter, in the constellation of Leo, just in context of the Messiah's coming, is the, I think that's what the sign of the Son of Man that appears in the heaven is. Pretty cool? So uh, now, <clears throat> so when, the sign of, when this, all this happens, the second coming and the sign of the Son of Man are happening, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Uh, this word here for tribes is fule, uh, and uh, the earth again, land. It can be earth or land. This is a reference to Zechariah 12, 10 through 14, which describes Israel's national repentance. And we just saw that passage in, in Isaiah 30 there when, when he's coming to heal them now. The Son of Man comes. The word for the tribes here is fule, with a very few exceptions. For example, Revelation 7, 9. This term is almost always applied to the tribes of Israel in the New Testament. Almost always with a very few exceptions. When they want to talk about tribes of Israel, they use Thule in the New Testament. The word usually used for Gentiles is ethnos. Okay? And so let's look what happens. He's just saying that when the sign of the Son of Man appears and I come back, and then those Jews who have yet to turn to me that I've allowed to survive, then they're going to they're gonna repent. So, and I will pour out on the house of David, the house of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, They'll look on me, the one they've pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Grieve bitterly for one for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great like the weeping of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives. The clan of the house of Nathan and their wives. The clan of the house of Levi and their wives. The clan of Shimei and their wives. He's making a point that there's not going to be a clan in Israel that's not going to repent. When they see the one they've pierced, when do they see the one they've pierced? The second coming. The, when the sign of the man, son of the man is happening in context of the second coming. The clan of uh, Shimei and their wives and all the rest of the clans, just to make sure that these are just examples. They're not just, you know, these are examples. All the rest of the clans and their wives. So he's just saying, when, I, when you see the sign of the son of man and, my, and me great glory um in context of that then that's when you're gonna then, then that's when Zach, zechariah 12 10 through 14 which is clearly an eschatological passage um the messiah's return in the old testament so they will see the sign of the they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power they will see the son of man coming in the powers power son of man coming in, in a cloud with power great glory this is our blessed hope no need for commentary there matthew 24 31 And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, here the focus on his elect 
I think he's just talking about, he's definitely talking about believers here, the bride. Here, here, what's that? It's Jesus' elect. It's the son's elect. That's right. Here, elect clearly refers to believers, his chosen bride. We will be raised from the dead and gathered by the angels to meet Jesus in the air. We'll be gathered to him in Zion. This is where, um, again, uh, I think that there's people talking about, well, how is every eye going to see him? Well, they're taking their, they're forgetting that when it says that, they're ta- that it's referring to Zechariah 12, which it means every eye in the land of Israel will see him because he returns to Mount, the Mount of Olives and returns to that area. And he doesn't, I don't, I personally, I know other, some people teach the, the procession. He does a procession. I don't believe that. I think because of a number of passages, I think what happens is he, he sends out his angels and it says that they gather them to him from all the four winds in the resurrection. He comes back and he, he's, over, he's over the Middle East. He's over J- Jerusalem. And then he sends out the angels and they gather his beloved bride to him from the four winds. They gather and they meet him in the air there and then they come down with him. What's that? Yeah, that that general region, like he's going to be, I think he's going to appear maybe over that area. And then where he actually hits the ground, maybe it's like more towards Mount Sinai. And then he, but in that region, everybody will know in the Middle East there around Jerusalem. Um, he's going to, because it says he's going to come down and appear and deliver with the brightness of his coming. And, but he is going to trample on Edom. So whether he comes and, deli- you know, does some whooping up and then goes to Edom or whether he just comes and lands on Sinai and does a reenactment of the Exodus and then goes through Edom and marches through it and destroys all those guys. So yes. You're not necessarily talking. You're, so, you know, the idea that there's like a procession over all the earth. Before an earthly procession. Before, like, an earthly kind of comes down and then there's a campaign. Yeah, I think I, c- I can buy into that a lot more than I can the heavenly procession in the air before the one on the earth. Uh, just because it says that they're going to gather them, the angels are going to gather them right. to the Messiah. And look at uh, Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the four winds, right? One end of the heavens to the other. From one end of the heavens, the rising of the sun, to the other end of the heavens, <laughs> right? East to the west. So I wonder whether Jesus is actually quoting... From Psalm 50 here. Guys, all of these things, has there been a single part of this where there hasn't been Old Testament passages that they're drawing from? All of the signs, Daniel 9, the signs leading up to the temple's destruction, all that stuff, and, and then the, the signs in the heavens all anchored in the Old Testament. The mighty one God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. So here's the Messiah in a, shining forth. God the Messiah is shining forth. In Zion, from Zion, our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, <laughs> my consecrated ones. He gives the decree to the angels who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, his sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, his covenant faithfulness in the resurrection for God himself is judge. So he's saying, gather to me, my consecrated ones who were in covenant with me by sacrifice. As he's shining forth from Zion. Zion is the center. Zion's the center, and he's gathering all his saints, the sons, cause, because remember, a, can a nation be born in a day? That nation, uh, the, the nation referring to 
Israel the firstborn nation, but all of the second and thirdborn brothers from all the other nations too. Israel is the firstborn son, right, so to speak, and then the nations are the second and thirdborns, and they're all be, all the sons of God now in the resurrection are being gathered to the Messiah. Now, 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 follow the flow. Luke twenty one twenty eight. Now, when these things begin to take place, in contrast to the signs leading up to the temple, straighten up your head and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh, drawing near. So, i.e., when these last generation category two signs begin to take place, and he's, I think he's clearly contrasting these to the signs leading up to the temple's destruction, which is no. He's saying when you see these last generation signs starting to take place, starting with the beginning of birth pains, then you will know that you've entered the last generation. Not when these false messiahs are out in the desert, but when these signs begin to take place. That's when we know that in the last generation is upon us. The Messiah's kingdom and the completion of our redemption in the resurrection of our bodies is drawing near. And then he uses the fig tree analogy. From the fig tree, its lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender, becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is new, near. So also, when you see all these things, referring to the last generation signs in contrast to the temple of destruction signs, you know that he or it is near at, at, the, it's at the gates. Look at Mark 13, 29. So when you see these things taking place, you know that he or it is near at the very gates. Now, if we want to know what, what Luke actually, actually means by that, he's talking about the messianic kingdom, or what, what Jesus means by that. Luke makes it clear that he's talking about the establishment of the kingdom. So when you see these things taking place, you know that what? The kingdom of God is near. When you see these last second category signs mapped out, beginning to unfold, in the beginning of birth pains, leading to the abomination the final abomination of desolation, the powers cast down, the signs in the, the sun that we talked about. When you see the powers cast down, Babylon destroyed. When you see the beginning of birth pains into that hard labor, culminating in the sign of the Son of Man in the second coming. Okay, When you see those signs, then you know that your redemption is near. When you see these first generation signs, know that it's, nope, it's not near. It's for a future generation. I'm going to open the door of mercy to the Gentiles first. Okay? But when you see these signs, then you know that your redemption is near and that the kingdom is about to be established in power, not by human strength. Okay? Matthew 24, 34. Sequence, category two begins. That generation will not pass away until all of the signs in that category two sign have happened. And as Tim Warner's translation of Revelation 1 said from session one, we looked at it with suddenness. It's going to, once they start, the game is on. Uh, when you read uh, Peter's commentary in his epistles, I think it's Second Peter, he's just saying there that the uh, transfiguration was a type of the resurrection as an assurance of the prophetic hope, the hope of the prophets. And so this is clearly referring to the last generation and the resurrection is about to happen. And so he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away. Uh, and uh, the generation um, that, sees, that sees the category two signs unfold, the final generation. Because he's contrasting two generations, isn't he? He's contrasting the generation that sees the, eight, the first century, the signs leading up to the temple's destruction. He's contrasting that with the final generation. And he's saying clearly, when you see these signs, know that it's not near. But when you see these signs, know that it is near. He's making a clear contrast there because they asked him about all three.
You're not going to see these signs. The days are going to, when, when you're seeing the first, he tells them, when you're seeing the first generation signs, the, fir- the first century signs unfold, you're going to long to see the day of the Son of Man, but you're not going to see it because the Son of Man came to suffer in this generation. But my kingdom awaits the future, the establishment in the future when I come through the sky in power and you see, you see, see my return. So, um, so let's go to the next verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I just for <clears throat> pass away does not mean annihilated. It means pass by. It means pass from one age of corruption in its present form into another age. So pass away does not mean annihilated, but to pass away in its present form. The Greek word is perekom, translated pass by. So Luke eighteen thirty seven. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing away. No, he's walking by them. He's passing by. He's, so it's the same way that we're, this age is passing by, and it's, as Paul puts it here in 1 Corinthians 7, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short, for this world in its present form is passing away, that the form of this world is passing away. The world is not being annihilated. And then Jesus says, my words will not pass by. What he's saying is, my words are not <clears throat> that, the, the, that, that the age to come, the, the heavens and the earth are not going to pass into the age to come, Without my words that I've just, my words, my teachings concerning all of these signs actually happening. See, that's what he's saying. These things will happen before we pass into the age to come is what he's saying. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day, now, which is, which is a broader period of time, a day or an hour? A day. An hour is a more narrow unit of time, isn't it? I, I, I think that he's using day to refer to the entire generation beginning the beginning of birth pains all the way through as a broader period of time, the day, you know, and then that the hour referring to the specifically the second coming. Uh, but concerning that day, the broader period of time, i.e. the beginning of the last generation, and hour, the more nar- narrow period of time, the second coming, no one knows. The Greek word here is oida, and it has more of this, it's not the sense of, Nobody really knows. It's the sense of it's not perceived or seen. Nobody sees it yet. Nobody sees it because the last generation signs haven't begun to unfold. Not even the angels of the Father nor the Son, but the Father only. But concerning that day or hour, no one perceives, no one sees, not even the angels of the Father nor the Son, but only, only the Father. Day, the larger unit of time, refers to the beginning of the category two signs of the last generation and hour. The smaller unit of time refers to the second coming, more specifically, at the end, the category three. The only reason we don't, the only reason um, we don't know, we don't see or perceive or know in that sense, category three is because it first awaits the earth entering into category two. Does that make sense? That's the reason we don't see it yet. Only the father sees when the signs of the last generation would begin to unfold. However, once the category two signs begin to unfold, then we will see, perceive, and understand what is happening if we are watching and praying. If we are watching for these signs, Jesus gave, these, gave us these signs to watch and perceive so we know when the final generation is unfolding. If we perceive that, then we'll be able to perceive his second coming because his second coming follows the line of the progression of all these signs. At the 3.5 year mark, we will know that we have exactly 3.5 years until Jesus comes back. So Paul, now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains and a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So what he's saying here is that the ones that it's going to come on suddenly are those that, that, that haven't, they have no awareness of the signs. They're sleeping. They don't care. They don't take the time to read these passages. They're going to be asleep. They don't, you know, we're not praying. We're dull. See what I'm saying? But the ones who are watching and praying and taking Jesus seriously will be aware. Hey, hey, there's just, Jesus just said kingdom against kingdom. Isaiah 19, Egypt, look for stuff happening in Egypt. Hello, people. Hello. Okay, let's be awake. For, for, for as the days, as were the days of Noah, where am I? For as the days of Noah, the comparison with the days of Noah is significant because the flood was a universal judgment of the earth, wasn't it? Okay, it wasn't a localized one. Again, the end of the age is clearly in view in contrast to the parenthetical signs. So as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the son of the man. And the coming of the son of man, here we see that the coming of the son of man in Matthew, and Luke says the days of the son of man. So it's referring to not specifically just the second coming, but it includes the second coming and the days leading up to it, just like Noah. The days of Noah included the time leading up to the flood. See what I'm saying? So the coming of the Son of Man equals the days of the Son of Man. Therefore, the whole series of events in the last generation, especially the last 3.5, is in view here. The second coming, more specifically, is the culmination of the day of the Lord. For as it was in the days of... Before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Until the day Noah entered the ark. Going about business as usual, sleeping versus watchful and, and, and awake. Matthew 24, 39, they were, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Again, for those who are watching, these days will not surprise us. That's clear. Th- at watching and praying, this analogy doesn't make much sense if it is confined solely to the second coming and not to the last generation as a whole, and more specifically to the last 3.5 years. Because the, the analogy is the people are sleeping, they're not paying attention, and then suddenly the destruction comes. Jesus says, gives you this whole series of signs to watch for, okay, so that we're not taken captive by it. It doesn't make any sense if, the, if that analogy is applied solely to the second coming, which is actually the tail end of those signs. It's like, it would be like saying, here's a bunch of signs, but you're really not going to see them. So, because it's all going to be like days of Noah. See what I'm saying? He gives us the signs so that we're not caught away with those that that are that are asleep that are asleep. Yeah, we don't. If we don't want to be swept away by the shakings of the last generation, then we must watch and pray. Okay. Luke 17:28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. So Luke draws in another metaphor. They are another story analogous. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, Sodom was a city, wasn't it? And Jesus, in Revelation 19, it says that when, when, or Revelation 16, that when he comes back, all the cities, the rebellious cities are going to be desolated. So he's saying in the same way that Sodom, the city, this rebellion, and was Sodom a a Jewish city? No, it was a, it was a, it was a Gentile city. And so, uh, Abraham was the only, I guess, was the only, <laughs> Abraham and Lot and his family. 
So the other major analogy is Sodom and Gomorrah, where fire and brimstone were hurled down in judgment on the Gentile nations surrounding Abraham on the city. This event was a type of the day of the Lord. It was to serve as a sign of warning to Abraham. His descendants not to be to follow the wicked ways of the Gentiles, lest they be consumed in the coming day of wrath when he destroys the rebellious Gentile cities through that, that the, the fire and the earthquakes and the hailstones and all that stuff. Again, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Again, day applies to the signs of the last generation more broadly and the hour more narrowly to the second coming. So we need to be awake now. Don't think that we can just wait for the three point years, point five. I mean, guys, this is going to get intense a lot sooner than we think. Jesus now gives the same warning he gave the disciples who were to flee when they saw the abomination of desolation in the first century. This is because this, the situation will be similar as the Antichrist armies invade Jerusalem. There will be only a short window of escape. And we know that Jesus is using this in context to the last days now and not the Roman, imp, the Roman armies because um, he immediately follows it in Luke 17 here with a reference to uh, Zechariah 14. So... Again, we looked at Daniel 11 there. That's the Antichrist army surrounding Jerusalem and, and filling, invading Israel. So he says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember, whoever, se or whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. If you, you want to hold on to your stuff, you're going to get trapped in the city, this time by the Antichrist armies, just in the same way that the Jews did in the first century. And you're going to be destroyed. And we saw that. We read uh, Isaiah 29 there. <clears throat> now, those who try to hold on to their stuff won't make it. They must let go and trust God to provide for their needs. We must let Jesus crucify worry in our hearts now. Okay. And then he goes on to quote uh, Luke 17. This is referring to Zechariah, reference to Zechariah 14. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken to the other left. This does not re refer to the pre-trib rapture uh, by any means. It refers to Zechariah 14, 1 through 3. Zechariah 14 context, Antichrist armies are invading Jerusalem. And a day of the Lord is coming against Jerusalem. When your plunder will be divided among you, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. This is one last time. The city will be captured. The house is ransacked. The women raped. How many will go into exile? Half the city. But the rest of the people, the other half, will not be taken from the city. They're going to be held prisoners in the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So this is half the city. So now, now in light of that, read Luke. I tell you, on that night, the night where the Antichrist armies are coming in, in judgment, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken out of the city. One will be left in the city. Luke 17.35, then there will be two women grinding together. One will be taken out of the city. The other one will be left in the city. See, it's, it's a clear reference in my mind, and it makes a lot of sense. So those who don't get out in time will be trapped in the city. Half will be, will be trapped in the city. The other half taken captive to places like Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and Iran. See the reference there. Death camps, prison camps. One will be taken by force as a captive out of the city, because that's what Isaiah, Zechariah 14 says, that half the city will go into exile. They'll be taken from that area out, like to Babylon and other places, to exile, to prison camps and places like that. But half will be kept prisoner in the city. Apparently, there'll be, who knows how all the dynamics there, but there'll be forces there that are still 
at work. Maybe, maybe, exactly. Or maybe even part of the city that's still resisting him. Because in the first century, there were parts of the city that resisted him to the end, parts that were taken sooner. Yes, sir. That's, that's where the people that are in the city are the ones that escape when he splits the mountain. Exactly. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, some of them are, yeah, however that works. There's people that are in the city that, they that are able to escape. He comes down, splits the mountain, and then they get to. They're able to get away. That's good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially if the, if the land is surrounded mm-hmm. by armies and there's no, there's no way to get out. Maybe the, the earthquake kind of opens up a way and they're able to jet on out of there. Yeah. So, yeah, like the Red Sea. So we're almost done. Luke seventeen thirty seven. They said to him, where, Lord? You know, this is kind of cool. The five foolish virgins. The, what time did the bridegroom come? What time? It's almost midnight right now. Keeping lamp on our oils. I feel like I honestly I feel like as that come that's coming to my mind and my spirit like the Lord. I feel like the Lord's encouraging us with that, actually. <clears throat> so he's wanting us to keep oil in our lamps. And we're almost to the end here. So it's pro- I think it's prophetic that we're ending this at midnight, for real. Like, I may, I like as we're talking. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, where the vultures will gather. And if we look at it in its original context in Matthew 24, they're saying, Lord, where will you come from to, uh, to deliver us from the situation where the Antichrist is doing all this stuff and from the sky? Because when I remember when I was in, in Kenya... We were driving, and we looked to the right, and it was a dr- huge drought in the area, and we saw a huge circle of, of, e- of vultures in the air from a far, far distance. We saw them, and we knew immediately, oh, there's some dead cattle or some de- dead animals, dead something. And so the, where the vulture, where the carcass is there, the vultures will gather. And so there's going to, it's actually appropriate because at this time there's going to be lots of slain people all over the city. There's going to actually be, you know, it's actually going to be, you're going to see something like that, literally. What's that? Yeah, he definitely, the the birds get invited to that feast of the, the, the Antichrist armies are wiped. It's a feast on their bodies, their dead bodies. Yeah, guys, this is, a, this is craziness. This is intense. The days are coming. I think what they're asking, when you look at it in Matthew 24, I didn't quote it here because Matthew 24, he uses it much earlier. But in Matthew 24, he quotes it right after he says, as the Son of Man, as the lightning is visible from the, from the east to the west. In other words, in the sky, you can see it. Then he quotes this proverb, this proverb or this saying in support of that. And so when they say, where, Lord? I don't think they're asking, where are they going to take us? They're going to ask. I think they're going to ask. They're asking, "Where, Lord, will you come back from to save us from this?" Based on the way it's the context in Matthew twenty-four. Again, we got. That's why we have to keep comparing, comparing, comparing. Matthew twenty-four forty-two. Therefore, stay awake. In light of all of this, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Be on, be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Day referring to the. Uh, um, uh, they referring to the, the broader period, I believe. 
But watch, and then especially that focus of the abomination of desolation at the beginning of the last three and a half years. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. It's midnight right now. Keep your lamps burning. We hit that verse. Isn't that cool? Keep your lamps burning and burning. God, help us to do this. God, we want to be like those wise virgins that don't go to sleep. Even as you approach midnight. Keep your lamps lit and burning. That is, watch, even though everyone else around you may be sleeping. Stay dressed. It not <laughs> yeah, Stay dressed. <laughs> stay dressed. Don't get in your PJs in case you need to move quickly. That's the point. You know, stay dressed in case you need to, to, to flee. Watching, staying awake, being on our guard. And I love how Luke defines what it means to be on our guard and what it means to watch. It means to pray and it means to not be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the cares of this life. It means Sermon on the Mount. We've got to embrace the cross as expressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who are in this state are the ones upon whom that day, those who are not, or excuse me, those who are in this state, the state of drunkenness weighed down, they're, you know, all, all the, the different ways that, that it would apply. These are the ones upon whom that day will come suddenly and unexpectedly. The sequence of events, you know, there's a lot of people, they look at Egypt and they're like, whatever. Yeah, there's always revolutions. If you've got an eye for these things, you're thinking, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? As believers, we want to have a watchful spirit and take this stuff seriously. It won't be a surprise to those who are watching. The shakings of the last generation are coming to all of us, whether we like it or not, whether we're watching or not. So it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home, puts his servants in charge, each with his work, commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Don't be worried about whatever work God gives everybody else. Be faithful to the work he gives you in this hour because it's important. So, uh, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he knocks. So just, will we be ready? We need to be faithful with our God-given assignments. Jesus is going, um, now listen to this. Those who are faithful, guys, if we're faithful in our weakness, this little company of people right here in this room, if we're faithful, look what happens. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. And he will recline at the table and he will come and serve them. He's going to wash our feet again. Jesus is going to serve us at the marriage supper if he finds us awake when, we, when he returns. That's the promise. Mark 13, 35, therefore stay awake. You don't, you, know, you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening. The reason we don't, again, the reason we don't know specifically is because we don't, we have to walk, for us to know, to know that day, we have to know all of the signs of the, the generation leading up to it. Okay, so if we know those, then we're going to be aware of when he comes. If he comes in the second. So anyway, every generation is called to have a watchful spirit because the sequence of signs could begin unfolding. Again, once the sequence begins to unfold, then we will eventually be able to perceive or see the timing of the second coming. But we must be awake. And I, what I what I say to you, I say to all stay awake. So in case you think you get out of this, this is a clearly for all believers. Peter, Peter, I, I contrast it with Peter. Peter actually asked this a few verses later, but I moved it up here and put it in brackets just so, it, you know, because Peter actually asked him, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or to all? Peter, Jesus answers him, I, what I say to you, I say, say to all, stay awake. But you wouldn't know that if you, it's clear when you compare the two that what, what actually happened. So 
But if know this, if the master of the house had not known had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So what he's saying here is be aware so that you're not like the man who let his house be broken into. If you are watching, we use this almost the exact opposite meaning of what it actually means. What he's saying there is if you are watching, then you will perceive the hour as it approaches. This passage is usually twisted to mean the opposite. He's actually saying that if we'll watch, then we won't be taken by surprise. The next verse makes this clear where he says, you also must be ready. You must be ready so that you're not taken by like a thief. So watch again. The point of this being that uh, the point is being ready so that we will be aware of the beginning of the category two signs. Then we then we are left to lift up our heads. Then we are to lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. Although it will be so intense, we'll have to be watchful to the end. Jesus actually, just as the Antichrist armies are getting ready to march on Jerusalem, he says, stay awake and watch. It's going to be so intense, guys, that even when we see these signs, we have to we have to be watching lest we be tempted. Now, listen, this is a key verse. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength. The New King James says that you may be counted worthy to escape. A better translation of the Greek is actually to flee. They may be able to flee all these things that are going to take place in the last generation, meaning in the last generation, and to stand before the Son of Man. So pray. So God is actually, I don't know how all that works, but I want to, when he says flee, I want to be watching and praying. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, leave this city and go to this city, and then two days later, the city I just left is in, is in ruins because of Isaiah 24 stuff. See what I'm saying? We've, that, we've got to be watching and praying. And we have to be watching and praying so that we're able to perceive it. So that we're able to perceive it. Who then is the wise and faithful servant who his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Guys, this is something that in this hour we have to be doing. All of us in this room, we are called to give the, the servants, whoever the Lord would entrust to us, small, big, young, old, Give them their food, their grain at the proper time. This is the time to eat grain, not cotton candy. We've got to go after the word. We've got to stay up till midnight with oil in our lamps. Okay, if, if that's what it means, we've got to do this because this is for real. This is for real. This is not pretend. This is not make believe. I can't tell you guys. I, don't, I don't usually don't like to talk. I've had so much warfare the last couple weeks as I put this together. I cannot tell you. It's like, Lord, how many demons are in my room right now, Lord? For real, you know, and okay, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just call on your name. But it's been intense. This is for real. I'm feeling it. I know you guys, you're going to feel that pressure. The, the powers, they don't like the fact that we're getting on to what's going to happen to them. They don't like the fact. But we have got to feed people in this hour. We've got to feed ourselves and our children. We're not the Messiah. But it, let's, let's, let's strengthen the saints with truth. Let's take the time to compare the, the synoptic gospels, to understand what the Messiah, the rabbi, is really saying. Okay, we've got to do this oil in our lamps. And the Lord said, who is the faithful and wise manager? I'm reading from Luke 12. Whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion, to give them their portion a food at the proper time. When the time of this generation is getting... Guys, David Wilkerson just died. Do you realize that, how prophetic that is? It is? He died yesterday. 
in a car accident. It's huge. He was a major prophetic voice for this. Guys, we have got to wake up. And, and he, he's one of the few that have been actually preparing people for some of these things for like 20, 30 years. Okay? We've got to prepare people. This is the time. This is the proper time. And let's see how, how serious Jesus takes this. Blessed is that servant whom his master finds doing so when he comes. What will Jesus find us doing when he comes? Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Talking about the age to come, I'll put you over ten cities, five cities. You're faithful with the ten minas now. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. You fed my saints. You can be entrusted with human beings not to lead them into delusion. Okay, I'm going to put you over ten cities now. Lead them in truth, the age to come. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But that wicked servant, so here's, we've got a wicked servant here, who says to himself, so some deception sleeping is seeping in, some lie that we're playing over in our minds, a rationalization. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, what does Second Peter 3 say? In that day, scoffers will arise. Where is the day of his coming? Where is the day of his coming? Our hearts are deceitful above all things. We must resist the scoffing spirit and not let it start to creep in. Okay? When, you know, when the Lord was really speaking to us in the fall about some difficulties coming, I, I bought a little water. It didn't happen as soon as I thought. But you know what? I want to let that make me more. It's like, God, I want to hear your spirit. I don't want to let that. Well, I missed, I, you know, I, I missed the timing by three months or whatever. Five months, a couple years even. I don't want to let my spirit become dull in that. I want to hear his voice. I want to respond. And we've got to, everything, the pressures are coming and it's going to be intense. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing so. The wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. And what's the fruit of the scoffing spirit? He begins to beat the male and female servants. He begins to draw them to his own ministry. Instead of to Jesus, he begins to all of these crazy things that we do, people. For real, guys. This is where the scoffing spirit leads. It's leading the sheep to the slaughter. We don't even preach the second coming anymore. We don't even preach the day of the Lord. Matthew 24 is weird, and it comes from the lips of the word Logos incarnate himself. We have got to keep oil in our lamps. We've got to not resist that scoffing spirit so that we're not beating the sheep, so that we're, we're not abusing them with our own little agendas when we come to the word and the way we twist the word and pre-tribulation rapture. God's never going to let us go through trouble. That's not feeding the sheep, people. You don't prepare for intense times by deluding yourself that God would never let you do it. But his very own son died and bled and calls us to carry the cross. Okay? We don't want to get drunk. This is the fruit when the day of the Lord is not at the forefront of our consciousness. Luke 12, 46, the master of that servant, again, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at, at an hour when he does not know. So if there's any still any about, doubt about who the last generation takes by surprise, this puts it to rest. It is not the watchful. Jesus gives signs so that we'll watch, so that we'll know, so that we'll be able to perceive it when they unfold. 
they, they don't have any other purpose and meaning <laughs> if we don't actually aren't admonished to perceive them and look out for them so that we're prepared. Our families are prepared. Church is prepared. Our brothers, our sisters are prepared. Okay? The master of that servant, the one who's beating the servants, the one who has the scoffing spirit, the one who's eating and getting drunk and imbibing the flesh and compromising with all the filthy things of this age, that servant's going to be dulled and not perceive it. When, when, when he, he, the master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect an hour he does not know. So if there's still any doubt about who the last generation signs will take by surprise, this puts it to rest. It is those who yield to the scoffing spirit and begin to abuse and devour Jesus' flocks for their own selfish gain. Read Ezekiel 34 about the definition of a false shepherd. Guys, I know that apart from the grace of Jesus, I have every, in, everything in me to lead the world. I would be the guy leading those movements in first century Israel. Okay, we all have that in us. Let's not be deceived about what's really in all of us. But let's cry out for God to crucify it so that we can be found faithful in giving the sheep their food at the proper time. Let's ask him for grace to strip us away of those delusions. Matthew 24, 51. And here's what's going to happen to that servant. He will be cut in pieces, put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke's interpretation of that is, uh, or, or parallel, he'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The unbelief set, um, NIV says he'll, he'll assign them a place with the unbelievers. That's intense. That's pretty intense. Jesus is very serious about this issue. Luke twelve forty seven, And that servant who knew his master's will. Now, guys, this one terrifies me, having just all of us just work through this together. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. So if we know, and then we shrink back, that's intense. That's unfaithfulness. Luke 12, God, I just ask you for grace that we would be faithful stewards right now, God. That Jesus, even whatever understanding you're entrusting to us, even now, beloved, that you would strengthen us to be faithful and wise servants. Jesus, to forsake the flesh. Jesus, to to not be false shepherds, but to be true shepherds, to have oil in our lamps, to watch for you even till, till midnight. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we wait for you. We wait for you, Jesus. Help us. Help us, beloved. Help us, Master. Help us, Master. Make us true servants. We want to make disciples of you. God, we just say we have all those same messianic agendas that leads people to the Mount of Olives and gets them killed by the armies. God, I ask you in Jesus' name to kill those things in us, beloved. Jesus, we can't do it on our own, but we look to your cross right now. We look to your cross. We look to your cross, Jesus. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, much more will be demanded. So God, whatever you're entrusting to us tonight, Father, let us be faithful. Let us be faithful with our children. Let us be faithful, Abba Father, with, with our friends and our families. Let us be faithful with the assignment that you give each one of us. I pray, Father, for all of your saints. I pray for this group. I pray, Father, that the individual assignments that you've given them for this hour, that they would have clarity of them, that they would not be distracted by what everybody else thinks is the good idea for their life, but that, Jesus, they would hear your voice clearly, the voice of the master, 
that they would serve the saints that at their food at the proper time and that Jesus, they would stand before you and that Jesus, all of us in this room, we would be those that you come and serve at the wedding, the wedding feast. Jesus, we believe this. Jesus, wake us up. We want to see the signs. We resist the scoffing spirit. We hate the scoffing spirit. We say no to the scoffing spirit. The spirit that says, where is this coming? We say no to you. Oh, wake up, my soul. Wake up, my soul. Resist the scoffing spirit. It's perverse. It's defiled. Hate it. Hate it, my soul. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Love truth, my soul. Shake yourself free of delusion. Trust in the Lord, my soul. God, I cry out in the name of Jesus for your church in this hour. I cry out for your church. Deliver us from deception. Deliver us from deception. Deliver us from deception. We take your word seriously. We take your word seriously, oh God. We cry out. We cry out. We cry out. We humble ourselves before you. And we say, God, keep us on the narrow path. God, every attempt of the devil to lure us away to the broad path in the days that are coming. Keep us from it, God. God, narrow is the path that leads to life. Narrow the path that leads to life. Keep us on it, Father. Keep us on the narrow path. Cause us to hate the broad path. Cause us to love the way of the cross, the narrow path. God, I ask you in Jesus' name for watchful spirits that we will perceive we are sons of light. We're not in the darkness that that day should come upon us unexpectedly like a trap. God, we want to see it. Open our eyes. Cause us to pray. Put oil in our lamps, we ask in Jesus' name. So this is, this uh, is the final, over, this is the, the outline um, This is the outline and, uh, of the final overall summary of the Olivet Discourses. I am presenting it to you guys. Olivet Discourse Seminar, summary of the three categories of signs in the Olivet Discourse. A, signs leading up to the temple's destruction in AD 70. Increase of false prophets throughout the land of Israel, falsely ca claiming to be the Messiah, attempting to deceive people into joining their false messianic and claiming that through them the messianic kingdom is about to be established in that generation however don't be deceived because the kingdom's establishment awaits a future generation it will be established when the son of man comes in power through the sky at the end of the age in, next one increasing rumors of wars and Ju rumors of wars and jewish insurrections throughout the land against the roman empire increasing persecution of believing jews in the synagogues floggings imprisonments etc progressive lawlessness in the land Massive increase in family betrayal. Close relatives handing believers over to be put to death. To the Sanhedrin, etc., etc. Believers brought before Gentile kings and governors throughout the, throughout the Roman Empire as a witness to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, God giving them the words in that context. The, the gospel proclaimed to the Gentile nations scattered throughout the empire. Believers not only persecuted and hated by Jews, but also by Gentiles as the gospel advances throughout the Roman Empire. When Jerusalem is surrounded by the idolatrous Roman armies carrying the idolatrous flags that they worship instead of the true God, then you know that its desolation and fulfillment of Daniel 9.26 is very near. Those in Judea should flee to the city immediately. B, category two, signs announcing that the end of the age is approaching and that we are entering the last generation. Beginning of birth pains, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Increased turmoil in the Gentile surrounding the nation of Israel 
keep your eye on Egypt. Keep your eye on Egypt. Yeah, if you go back at that, that phrase, kingdom against kingdom, the only other place it's used in the Old Testament, the only other place I think it's used outside of Matthew 24 is, is Isaiah 19. In, and and um, Isaiah 19 is clearly an eschatological passage related to Egypt in the last days. And so, guys, I tell you what, what's happening in Egypt right now, in light of this, watch, we need to watch. We need to watch. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And so the nations, especially the ones surrounding the nation of Israel, increase turmoil. What's happening in, in Libya? What's happening throughout the Middle East right now, people? Oh, my goodness. It's massive political upheaval right now that's going to restructure the entire region, probably, potentially. Yemen, Libya, what are some of the other ones? Uh, of course, Egypt is the, was the inspiration for all of them. Um, I think some of the Gulf states, uh, what is it, uh, Oman? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, what was it, uh, Yemen? Yemen, was it uh, Tunisia or Algeria that was the first one before Egypt? Were they? Tunisia. Yeah, oh, that whole region, guys, the whole Middle East is its a huge sign. Dramatic increase in earthquakes. Haiti, Japan, today there was one here in Minnesota in Alexandria. Alexandria, which is a city in Egypt, that's kind of, I don't know if that's prophetic. Whatever. Indonesia. Guys, this is Isaiah 24 happening in front of us. Do we have the eyes and the ears to see that this is Isaiah 24? Famines, pestilences, plagues, terrors, and great signs from heavens. We're going to start seeing some stuff in the heavens. Then the hard labor, this is the hard labor, um, when you see the sun rise while completely black, not a solar eclipse, accompanied by a blood moon of some unusual kind, know that this terrifying sign is the signal, is signaling that the final three and a half years of this evil age, the darkest time in human history, is commencing, that... Uh, the abomination of desolation that the, the Antichrist armies are invading Israel. Know that Satan and the rebellious powers of the air have just been cast down from the heavens to the earth. Know that the Antichrist is now in power and has begun his reign of terror against Israel and the nations. And that his armies are raising Babylon to the ground. Stand firm. Stand firm. That's what I think we're supposed to, to take from that. Sign of the Son of Man's coming. At the end of the three and a half years, when the Son of Man returns to the sky in glory to establish his kingdom, the sun and moon will stand still, seven times brighter than normal, in the constellation of Leo, as the Messiah delivers his people, brings them into their inheritance, and rains down fire, hailstones, and burning sulfur on the wicked. In Jesus' name, amen.